Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Welcome back, everyone. We have a program today about one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite guests. We have Tracy Conan. She's a forensic accountant, and she's author and creator of the Divorce Money Guide. We're going to get into that in a minute. She takes people through a step-by-step process, information gathering, analysis of finances. But this is key, Tracy, and I want to start by asking you to determine where and how much money is missing. As a forensic accountant, is that primarily why you're brought on to a case? It sure is. I am brought into divorce cases typically because someone has concerns about what's been going on with the money. Now, those concerns don't always rise to the level where they think there's fraud and hidden money or secret spending. Sometimes it's just because someone hasn't been involved with the family's finances and they don't know what's been going on and they want a professional to help sort it out. So it it often is fraud, but not always. And this is also a good piggyback point because... If it's a traditional family where one spouse, typically husband, is high earner enough that wife can stay home and take care of the kids and have more of a traditional marriage, when it comes to divorce, I have found, have you not found that the woman feels completely out and has no idea where to start, what to interpret, even though those joint tax returns have been signed? That's right. It's very overwhelming. If you haven't been actively involved with the finances to now start basically from a position where you're blind, you probably have had very little visibility. And by the way, don't be ashamed. If you are listening and you are the person who is in that position, you haven't been involved with the money because you were a stay-at-home parent or you weren't the high earner or you just simply let your spouse handle that because that's something they did well. Don't be ashamed. It, it happens in most marriages where one person is in control of the money. But if you haven't kept your eye on stuff, now you're in a position of saying, oh my goodness, I don't know what's been going on and I don't know where to start. And is it typical that if that balance is now being disturbed, what I mean is uh, one spouse takes care of the money, the other spouse takes care of the family. Now there's a divorce for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. Husband, if questioned, or higher wage earner, sole wage earner, if questioned, doesn't like being questioned. And does that signal the stay-at-home spouse, oh my God, something's going on, he or she doesn't want to be questioned? Could you speak to that? I think it often feels accusatory when the questions are asked. So it is natural for that spouse to feel defensive. But when they feel defensive and they exhibit those signs, then the spouse who's asking the question says, oh, my goodness, what do I have to worry about? When I'm talking to clients who or potential clients who say, I haven't been involved with the money, I don't know what's going on, I'm not even sure if we're going going to get divorced, but I want to become more informed. 
I try to have them look for non-threatening ways to find out what's been going on with the money. The best one I've found to date goes like this. I'm concerned. What if something happens to you? What if you were in a car accident and ended up in a coma or you had a sudden heart attack and you passed away? I don't know where our accounts are. I don't know how much money is in them. I don't know what's on auto pay and what's not. I'd really like to start understanding what we have and where it is so that if there is an emergency like that, I can focus on taking care of you or focus on grieving rather than focusing on, oh my God, I don't know if I have money to pay the bills. That's brilliant. That is such a great way of approaching the topic. It really is. It's it's been very effective. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that there are families where there may be domestic violence. There may be emotional abuse. There may be a very high level of control by your spouse. And even approaching it this way would be offensive to them, right? You might say, I'm concerned and I'd like to understand, and they might fly off the handle. I know that this technique won't work for everyone, but I've seen it work in a lot of instances. So what if it does happen though? What if it does cause um, a harsh reaction, well, then what should that person do? I think that you're probably in a position where you need to first look out for yourself. And the best way that I can tell you to look out for yourself is by gathering information. If your name is on a bank account, you are legally entitled to access to those bank statements and access to that account. If your spouse won't give it to you, you can go directly to the bank, get your own login for online, or go to the bank and and get paper statements. So you're in a position where I want to say you've got to be proactive, but start gathering information because I would suspect things aren't looking good for the health of the marriage. Two things. If that's the reaction, is there a problem? Just a problem in general. Sure. Both people being aware of what they have as a community, so to speak. Right. Right. And then you brought up something else that um, I've just a, a really quick story about. You said bank accounts. So in community property states, not every state is a community property state. Other states are um, equitable division of assets states and debt too. But Bank accounts are not inherited by the other spouse. If one spouse dies and their name is the only name on the bank account, you don't inherit as a as the living spouse that bank account if you're also not the beneficiary on that account. Is that a true statement? So you're getting into legal stuff and uh, I'm not a lawyer, but I do tell people to check those beneficiaries because that is really, really important to make sure that you're the beneficiary of the life insurance and of any bank accounts that don't have your name on them. Okay, so here's the story. So there was a woman who I knew very well. Her husband was dying. He had retired years before that um, from his job because of a physical ailment. And she's the one that kept working. They owned the house outright that they had, but her paychecks were going into a savings account. She thought her name was on it, but she went to shore up her accounts in the last month that he was alive just to make sure things were okay because that was their biggest account of like half a million dollars. 
And she learned the banker said, oh, no, your name isn't on this account. Only his is. And you're not a beneficiary either. I suggest you get your name on this account or this money won't come to you. She believed her husband instead of the banker. (gasps) Within 24 hours of his death, that money went to other people, all of her earned money. Oh, wow. That's terrible. So I too don't want to get into legal advice. This is just banking. This is just plain old your name needs to be on those accounts. Okay, let's go back to you. So when you, you work primarily with women, correct? That is who I primarily work with. And again, it's just a function of the fact that regardless of how far we've come in society, the men still are in control of the money in the marriages much more often. Okay. And generally, is it because there is a divorce taking place? Yes. So my practice as a forensic accountant is partially uh, corporate work where executives are stealing. Part of it is different fighting between brother and sister over mom and dad's money, business partners over money that they've put into a business, all sorts of different things. And about a third of what I do is in the divorce realm. So not all of my practice is devoted to divorce, but for the piece of it that is divorce, it is um, primarily women. Um, They are primarily in a position of not having controlled the money, and they are now wondering what has happened to the money. Let's track it all down because I don't think that you can make an informed decision on settling your divorce unless you know exactly what money you have and exactly what your funds have been spent on over the last several years. Absolutely. So a divorce has been filed for and you get a call from the wife. She needs help figuring all of this out. So do you you have to wait until disclosure forms are exchanged? At what point do you enter this process? I like to come in the process sooner rather than later. It's typically the attorney that is contacting me on behalf Mm -hmm. of the client because the attorney has the experience to know when it's probably a good idea to get a forensic account involved. It's expensive to get us involved. So there, of course, has to be a certain amount of money at risk, and there have to be certain characteristics, certain complexities in it that make it worthwhile to have me involved. The attorney will usually contact me. We'll have a conversation about what the circumstances are so I can decide, is this something that fits into what I, you know, what my specialty is? And the work that I do is heavily based on looking at bank statements, credit card statements, investment account statements, and tax returns. Once those statements are all available, that's when I really get involved and start working. So in those early stages, a lot of it is just understanding the issues to see if I'm the right fit. And then sometimes I'll help the attorney with the discovery process. So they're going to be asking for documents from the other side, asking questions of the other side. I might help them put together some of those lists, especially if there's a complicated issue or if there's a business involved, things like that. I can help the attorney with how to ask for things to make sure that the other side can't wiggle out of giving us what we need. What do you do if there is a uh, suspicion that there are overseas accounts, accounts that aren't being expressed in the exchange. Is that you who can follow up or is that another person? The issue of overseas accounts 
sounds dramatic and exciting. It's not an issue as often as people would like to think it is. There's two ways to go about finding overseas accounts. Or, hidden, called, or, just, or just general hidden, but go ahead. I'm sorry. General hidden accounts. Sure. There's what I call the wild goose chase, which is I just believe that there's something out there. There's got to be more money. That is the work of a private investigator who will start tracking down different business names, start looking at different friends and business associates and start looking for evidence that maybe some real estate exists or that they they sort of piece together all sorts of things to find out if there's any evidence of some value out there. That's one way. That's not what I do. What I do is very heavily based on the documents and I'm looking for clues to those hidden accounts. So for example, you and your spouse always banked at Chase. Those are the only accounts you ever talked about. I get into your bank statements and all of a sudden I see a transfer to Wells Fargo and you never knew a thing about a Wells Fargo account. Oh. That's the kind of thing I'm looking for. That's No, that's excellent. I didn't even think about it like that. Keep going. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, right? So I'm looking for hints to places where there will be other accounts. I'm looking for things like large cash withdrawals that your spouse can't explain. $10,000 here, $20,000 there. Why are you withdrawing this cash? Now, I'll tell you, sometimes it's legit. There was one case I worked on last year where there were very large cash withdrawals happening over and over and over. And guess what? The husband had a cashier's check, a copy of a cashier's check that corresponded with every one of those withdrawals because they were doing a home renovation. And he was taking out $10,000 cash, turning it into a cashier's check to pay a contractor who was working on their house. So there are times where it all checks out, but there are times where it doesn't. When a divorce has been filed for, or at least discussed, let's organize ourselves, let's get divorced. People kind of go into fear mode, don't they? And and it's easy to think that information is being withheld, isn't it? Or is or am I wrong? What I find is that people who maybe have some suspicions, they go to one extreme or the other. Mm-hmm. The one extreme is, oh my God, everything's fraud. And this is terrible. And there's got to be hidden money. And it's also awful. And anything... Any transgression by the spouse must mean that there's something hidden and it's terrible. The other extreme is, oh no, he'd never do that to me. I'm I'm silly. I don't know anything about the numbers. I'm being paranoid. I'm, I'm seeing some signs, but certainly there can't be anything wrong. So I looked at those two extremes and I, I completely understand why people fall into that. They don't deal with this type of financial fraud on a daily basis. They don't know what to look for. So I put together an assessment for someone to take 15 questions, just takes a few minutes, where I'm asking them about how did you and your spouse manage the money? What were some of the decisions that were made? And what are some of the signs that you may have seen that caused you to become suspicious? And you answer the questions and then I tell you, yep, you've got a lot to be worried about. This isn't looking good. Or on the other end of the string, you know, other end of the spectrum, it looks pretty okay or somewhere in between. But yeah, I wanted to give people that opportunity to have um, an objective assessment of their situation because they can't be expected to know if it should be something to get excited about or not. And also, if people aren't used to, especially women, not used to talking about money, not used to asking for 
balances, accounts, it's got to be awkward to be thrown into that position. It certainly is. But for me, the best advice I have is to start taking small steps. So your first step is to start getting those account statements. Even if you can't bear the thought of even looking at them or going through them, fine. Let's just get them and have them in your hands and secured somewhere. We can always look at them later. It's about taking small steps towards becoming informed. Okay. How about evaluating a business? Is that part of what you can do, the asset value or the debt ratio of the business? I do not personally do business valuation. Many forensic accountants do. They are called in to look at what this business has, what you know, kind of income is coming in from customers and then put a number on it. If if this business were to be sold today, what would it be sold for? So that there can be some sort of division of that in the divorce. I don't do that piece. I I haven't done business valuations for more than 20 years. Um, It's just, but, but most forensic accountants do. Do you bring in somebody or do you have a list of referrals you ask your attorney clients to use? I do a referral So given uh, where the client is, what their circumstances are, I have a number of different people do business valuations that I can recommend and I have them talk to them. When it comes to other professionals, be it a business valuation person or a private investigator or someone who deals with computer security, I don't contract for those services. I don't like doing business that way where their fees run through my firm, you know, and some, Mm. some people like to do that and then mark it up or I don't do any of that. I just say, here's what I think you need. You know, I can make some recommendations, some referrals, but you go get those services. Okay. All right. That sounds good. Let's talk about the divorce money guide. What is it and how do you work with it? It's an online handbook. So very simply, it's um, on an online learning platform. There are videos there are PDFs, kind of like an ebook. There's worksheets, there's checklists. And it takes a person through a process. I've got 10 steps, but you don't have to do all the steps. You don't even have to do them in order. But I broke it down in 10 steps to, to keep it kind of simple. And it walks you through what is the financial piece of your divorce? What financial documents are you going to need to get? And where will you get them? And then we turn to the bank statements, credit card statements, and tax returns. Here's exactly how you get them. And here's what you can look for in them to determine how your money has been spent, whether any money has been hidden or secretly spent, things like that. So can can people do this on their own or do you need to engage and work with them on it? No, it's absolutely for them to do it on their own. Now, There is the standalone product. I also do sell the product with a group coaching option. So Mm -hmm. if they want some guidance from me, they can do the group coaching option, which is once a week on Wednesday evenings, we, I go live in a private Facebook group and go through some of the concepts, give them additional learning from what they receive in the divorce money guide itself. And I open up the floor for ask Tracy anything. So anything you might have found with the finances in your divorce, anything you're concerned about, issues you want to know about, should be aware about, you can ask me anything and I will answer those questions. That's really great to know that that you go live once I a do. week. 
We sure do. Absolutely. Okay. That's, that's quite a commitment. And, and I think that's so wonderful because just the idea of a forensic accountant is something far off in the distance. I mean, how often in our lives do we need to get in touch with somebody like that? So just putting you out there, making you accessible and bringing this down to a manageable level. That sounds like that's what you're accomplishing each week. That's exactly what the goal was. So the guide itself, I wanted it to be able to be used alone, all by yourself. If you're sitting in a room and you you don't have anyone you can ask for help, you don't want to reach out to me, you just want to be able to do this yourself. I wanted to make it that simple that someone even who wasn't good with numbers could do it. And I set out a goal when I came up with this idea last year that I wanted to help 1,000 people a year have a better financial outcome in their divorce. Now, 700,000 divorces are filed every year in the United States on average. So me helping a thousand of them really isn't a lot in the scheme of things, but it's certainly a lot more than I can help with my one-on-one consulting work. Absolutely. No, that, that's phenomenal. And that's why I'm doing the podcast because I can reach a lot more people than I can one-on-one. Right. Tracy, there's an interesting term I, I learned a few years ago, and it's part of what you talk about. And that is financial abuse and financial infidelity. I find this in some situations where uh, a spouse is given a budget, a, a little bit of an income that they have to survive on. They have to go grocery shopping on. They, their free spending going shopping with girlfriends is limited because they're on a limited budget, i.e. what's given to them. How do you address this with people, this whole concept of financial in- abuse? Let's start there. Well, certainly families have budgets and we can't all just go on unlimited spending. Of course, we've only got so much to spend. So the concept of that budget itself doesn't cause me a lot of anxiety. It's when it is done in a controlling way. Either the budget is very small or the spouse has to report back for all of the spending in a really obnoxious way. You know, you can't go to the grocery store without your spouse uh, asking you to account for what you spent and things like that. Certainly those control issues are a problem in some marriages. And so I like to talk about there's this issue of financial abuse, which is exercising a high level of control over your spouse through money. And that's restricting spending, micromanaging spending, uh, doing things like I can spend freely however much I want, but you cannot, things like that. Uh, limiting how they're allowed to live life through money. That's the financial abuse aspect. The financial infidelity aspect is more so telling lies related to the money, not being honest with how much you're spending, um, spending on things your spouse wouldn't approve of, like affairs, drug addictions, gambling, things like that. Right. Um, not abiding by agreements that you and your spouse have. Most spouses typically have a dollar limit where they say, if we're going to spend any more than X, we will talk about it first. And when you don't abide by those agreements, that's part of that financial infidelity. The financial infidelity and financial abuse do have quite a bit of overlap, though. And do you do you see this very often or how often do you see this when you're brought into a case? 
I will say that I see it fairly often, but my experience is is different. Well, if it's a case that I'm getting involved in, we already know there's some significant money problems. And so, so that's probably why I see it quite a bit more often than I think financial abuse presents itself in the general population. There are, oh gosh, there are some cultures, some religions, and I live in Los Angeles, so we have quite a diversity of cultures and religions where one person sits on, presides over, and doles out money to the other spouse. And I see it on my end when I get into mediation that the only money allowed is groceries or something for the kids, but nothing for them. When you are brought on to a case and you see this happening, is there a counselor women can go to? Is there some other professional that can help them work through this situation? There are therapists who actually have specialties dealing with financial issues like this. So I absolutely recommend talking to someone like that. But, you know, as you know, there are all sorts of divorce coaches divorce financial coaches. Um, I would say if a therapist is outside of someone's reach in terms of money or accessibility, then one of these coaches is probably the next best option for them. Um, But as long as there's someone that can help people navigate the issue and I guess recover from it, right? If you're leaving the marriage, um, you probably have some healing that you have to do surrounding money. You know what I've found in in the three and a half years that I've been doing this podcast and in the 10 years that I've been mediating is you will have a woman who was a very successful professional prior to marriage and then gets into the marriage, gives up the profession to become a professional mom. And that is a profession unto itself that has no rest to it. But all of a sudden, They change because they're not in control of their lives or their decisions. And I I would love for you to speak to that woman. It's not that unusual um, who has transitioned like that to maybe help them get back on their feet. It's an interesting topic because you're right. You know, you take someone who was professionally successful who gives that up to raise the kids and now facing divorce they've got to go back to the workforce and they are behind their peers professionally because they've probably been out of their career for five or ten years so they have to play catch up there they don't have retirement savings of their own like their spouse has because their spouse has continuously worked and it's a really difficult position Um, And, you know, it's it's especially difficult when you have a mom who says, you know, I was going to stay home and raise the kids. There wasn't even a plan to get back to work yet. So what do I have to say to them is you are not alone, right? There are so many women who are put in this exact same position. I think it's important to, um, again, I go back to gathering information to help understand your situation. Um, I suggest looking for support groups online. There are lots of Facebook groups that are there for people going through divorce 
where you can vent a little bit, talk to other people who are in a similar situation, get some feedback if that's your thing. Um, and it is really important to be um, talking with an attorney or a mediator so that you understand what's going to be expected of you. It varies from state to state in terms of you having to become reemployed, things like that. But you want to understand what is the court going to expect me to do? What is the timeline on that? Can I, will I qualify to get spousal support while I am, you know, reigniting my career and things like that? I always support attorney advice. First thing out, see an attorney, get learn the law of your state that'll put you in a more confident position because now you have knowledge to work with. So in conclusion, I just want to go back to what are the steps people should take if they feel a divorce is imminent or they have been served with divorce papers? That's the one thing. And then it, it just finish with, can people work with you one-on-one on their own to help them find their way? Absolutely. So if divorce is on the horizon, my best advice is gather as much financial information that you have legal access to. Please don't do anything illegal. If your name isn't on an account, don't try to access it. Don't do anything like that. But gather as much information as you can legally access and secure that information. If it's paper documents, secure those away from the house. If it's, you know, computer files, PDFs, um, save those somewhere in the cloud where your spouse couldn't get access to them. Do talk to an attorney to find out your rights. If you are even considering divorce, just considering it, it might be really helpful to know what the laws of your state say about your circumstances. So that's super important. And those are kind of the first steps that I recommend. Okay. And then can people work with you one-on-one? Can somebody call you and say, I just need some personal guidance on this? They absolutely can. So there is the traditional way where I am doing a full-blown forensic accounting engagement where I'm doing all your numbers for you. And that's something where, you know, you can reach out to me and we'll talk, we'll loop in your attorney, figure out what that project is and how much that costs. In the context of the Divorce Money Guide, we actually did just roll out a one-on-one option. So you will get the Divorce Money Guide. You'll get access to the group coaching on a weekly basis, but then you also will get some one-on-one access to me. We're doing, um, it's the four hour long strategy sessions with me where we go through exactly what your situation is and how I you know, would best approach this from trying to figure out what's going on with your money. And you get some uh, some of my tools and spreadsheets that I use and things like that. And so what I want to do for people is help them get their finances together. So it's still them directing the process themselves, but with me consulting with them to help make it as effective as possible. And then once they've got their financial disclosure form together and their marital balance sheet together... I am looking over that for them, helping them to identify if something doesn't look right. If uh, if I think there's an opportunity for them somewhere, you know, asking them, okay, there's this asset that sounds really, really important. What have you and your attorney talked about in terms of negotiating that? See, I never thought about that until this conversation with you. That maybe a forensic could be used in a one-on-one 
guidance situation. And just as you were saying that, I'm thinking, God, that makes me feel secure. I think maybe people just need that rather than have you show up at an attorney's office and this be the first time a conversation takes place. So I'm really happy that you do that. Well, there's lots of options. The idea is, again, to make this whole forensic accounting thing accessible to whoever needs it at whatever level. So if you've got a really tight budget, then you get the divorce money guide and you do what you can with that. If you, But if you're able to afford a little more and you have a situation that's a little more complicated, there's other options for you. That was the whole idea. This is great, Tracy. This is great. You put a whole new bent on how to use forensic accountants. So even though you're in the Chicago area, I yes, am. yes, I am. Um, you do work outside of Chicago, apparently. I work all across the country. Okay. Your contact information is going to be in the show notes, but for people listening who just like to jot something down, best way to get in touch with you. They can go to my website, fraudcoach.com, because I am your fraud coach. And if they are one of those people who is concerned about some of the signs that they've been seeing and they're not sure, should I be upset? Should I think that maybe fraud is occurring? At the very top of fraudcoach.com, there is a link to the red flag assessment. They can take that 15-question quiz and have a little bit of feedback on whether or not they should be concerned. Okay, this sounds great. I may have to take it just to see what it's like. Um, Yes. You have been listening to Tracy Conan, forensic accountant and creator of the Divorce Money Guide. So perfect that you are on the show. Thank you so much for giving us your time and your knowledge, Tracy. Thank you for having me. It has been so much fun. And it'll be very useful to people. And thank all of you for listening. As always, I appreciate that you've taken the time to educate yourself. Everybody on this program is so very helpful in different aspects of a divorce. I will take any suggestions for a topic. You can go through my website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com. And on the episode page, we have speaker pipe and you can send me an email that way. And as, oh, wait a minute, I forgot. I have a workshop coming up on Tuesday, February 14th at noon. I'm collecting emails. I'm going to get the information out there. If you want, it's free. If you would like to attend this workshop, it is Valentine's Day specifically chosen uh, for that. Please email me and, and contact me through SpeakerPipe. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.